It's 11 minutes before 7 o'clock. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, October 6, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The race for the second seat on the Sitka Assembly is a dead heat and won't be settled until absentee and early ballots are counted this Friday. Sitkins cast their votes more decisively on Prop 1 on Election Day, however, favoring the sale of the Sitka Community Hospital building by a nearly 2-to-1 margin. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. In the three-way race for two open assembly seats, Dave Miller has a decent lead. Miller earned the most votes in precincts one and two on Election Day, receiving 680 votes overall. As long as the early and absentee votes line up similarly, Miller will likely be elected to the Sitka Assembly. But the race for the second seat is extremely close. So far, incumbent Kevin Mosher has earned 478 votes, with Rachel Moreno right behind him with 446 votes. The two precincts split on the winner, with Mosher winning Precinct 1 and Moreno winning Precinct 2. The two candidates are separated by a difference of just 32 votes. While the assembly race is far too close to call, the outcome is more definitive for Prop 1. 574 Sitkins voted in favor of selling the former Sitka Community Hospital building and properties. 300 voted against a sale. The counting of absentee and early ballots on Friday will likely not affect the outcome. The Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium has offered just over $8.2 million for the properties, with plans to expand its long-term care unit and build a 28-unit residential apartment complex. The ballot question is only advisory, however, and the Sitka Assembly will ultimately decide whether to approve a sale at its next regular meeting. The race for Sitka School Board was no contest this year, with only two candidates seeking the two open seats on the board. Nevertheless, both won strong support from voters. Incumbent Board President Amy Morrison had 710 votes, with two precincts reporting. Newcomer Todd Gebler had 636. There were only 53 ballots cast for write-in candidates on Election Day, making it unlikely that the race will be affected by Friday's count of absentee and early ballots. Both Morrison and Gebler will take three-year terms on the Sitka School Board. These election results are still unofficial. Nothing will be certain until the 807 early and absentee votes are counted on Friday. The result will not be official until the Sitka Assembly certifies the election on Tuesday, October 12th. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Communities throughout southeast Alaska took part in the democratic process last night, with citizens voting for mayor, city council, and school board members. As Cake, Pelican, Teneke Springs, and Port Alexander wrapped up their municipal elections, KCAW's Tosh Kimmel was able to get some of those results. It was a six-way race for three open seats on the Pelican City Council. Jameson Mork scored one of those seats with 24 votes, followed closely by Jim Slater, who earned 19 votes, and Nathaniel Barker with 17 votes. In the race for school board, Philip Spencer won seat number one with 22 votes. Raven Hansen received 32 votes for number three. KCAW is seeking clarification on the results for seat number five, with nine write-in candidates vying for the chair. The mayor of Pelican resigned this year, leaving the seat vacant, and Patricia Phillips was the only candidate to file for the position. While she was challenged by six write-in candidates, she was the clear winner with 19 votes. 
in Port Alexander, seven city council seats were up for grabs, with 26 people running in the all-write-in election. Tom Corso garnered the most votes with 21, Ryan Martin and Sarah Patrick tied with 17 votes, Deborah Gifford received 16 votes, Corey Gifford and Bud Dirtle both received 15 votes, and Laura Pollard snagged the last seat with 14 votes. In Cake, Lloyd David narrowly won the race for mayor with 62 votes, surpassing Delbert Kiddake by just two votes. Monica Ashenfelter and Paulette Jackson both won second terms on the city council, with 82 and 90 votes, respectively. In the school board race, Isabel Mills and Stuart Mock also snagged second terms, with 79 votes going to Mills and 96 to Mock. According to posts on the city of Van Goon's Facebook page, the community's municipal election has been postponed until Tuesday, November 2nd. KCAW has reached out to the city officials for more information on the postponement. The announcement comes in tandem with confirmation of seven new coronavirus cases in the community and the closure of the city office to the public. All election results are unofficial until they are certified later this month. KCAW will continue to bring election updates from listening communities as the results are available. Two more coronavirus cases were reported in Sitka on Monday. According to the state's coronavirus dashboard, the number of cases reported over the last seven days decreased to 21. Three of the cases were non-residents and 18 were residents. Sitka will remain in high COVID alert level until the number of COVID cases in a week drops below nine. On Monday, KCAW reported that the state reported one new case over the weekend. As of yesterday, that number was updated to two. Since the pandemic began, Sitka has reported 1,128 total coronavirus cases, 23 hospitalizations, and five deaths associated with the virus. According to the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services, 68% of Sitka's total population, including those who are not yet eligible for the vaccine, have been fully vaccinated, with 73% of the total population receiving only one dose. To find out more about how to sign up for a COVID vaccine, you can visit our website, kcaw.org. Yakutat has transitioned from a red to a yellow COVID alert level this week after having its biggest outbreak since the pandemic began. According to the Yakutat De Public, Department of Public Safety, there have been 25 positive cases since September 12th. Only four of those cases are currently active, and no additional cases have been reported since Friday, October 1st. Several of those cases were tied to the Yakutat School District. The elementary school resumed in-person learning on Monday after being closed since September 21st. The high school is scheduled to reopen for in-person classes on October 13th. Remote communities and limited hospital facilities make medevacs a fact of life for many in southeast Alaska. One of Alaska's medevac providers recently upgraded its fleet with a larger, faster jet that has more room for patients and their loved ones. Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick checked it out. Pilot Sam Steensland's office has 7,000 pounds of thrust. All right, engineer, your choice. We're not going anywhere, but Steensland wanted to show off his Learjet 45XR's avionics and help me get some sound of an engine firing up on the tarmac of Juno's airport. Will that work or should we get another one going? 
That's, that's running? That's really quiet. I know it is. <laughs> yeah. It's like my Nissan Leaf. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty nice, isn't it? This is Airlift Northwest's newest aircraft. It replaces a slightly smaller Learjet. Just as fast as our old jet, but it carries a lot more fuel. The nurses have a lot more room in the back to work. The avionics up front are a lot nicer. So I'd say just about everything about it's a lot nicer. It's not uncommon for a patient in Southeast Alaska to be medevaced to a larger hospital, usually in Anchorage or Seattle. But a few communities have runways too short to land a jet. Oh, we can't do Skagway or Huna in the jet. And that's why we have our, our turboprop can do those. The turboprops are common, but they fly lower and slower and are more limited by the elements. There are also some situations where planes can't land at all. For example, Angoon on Admiralty Island doesn't have an airport or a patient might need extracting from the deck of a fishing boat, or there's a lost hunter in the wilderness. In cases like these, they're often evacuated by the Coast Guard, which has rescue helicopters based in Sitka and Kodiak. And the Coast Guard helicopter will actually land right beside our plane. We'll transfer the patient onto our plane and off we go to wherever they need to get to. Inside the Learjet's cabin, there's a long stretcher where an injured or ill patient is secured. There are seats for the two flight nurses and even extra space for up to three family members. Elaine Blasco, the Juno base manager for Airlift Northwest, says the aircraft is equipped with medications, equipment for blood transfusions, and monitors designed to provide the patient with intensive care. We are a flying ICU, so everything that you're going to find in an ICU, we're going to have the capabilities to um, initiate or continue in this aircraft as well. Stabilizing patients is essential because a flight between Juno and Seattle can take more than two hours while cruising at more than 500 miles an hour. Diana Paul is a flight nurse who says the newest jet is an upgrade for everyone on board. It has a lot more headspace, so the patients are a lot more comfortable. Before it was pretty tight and they'd feel a little claustrophobic, so this is really a lot more comfortable for the patients and us, and it has a lot more fuel range so we can go further. Airlift Northwest charges by the mile, and a flight to Seattle can cost around $100,000. An hour and 20 minute trip up to Anchorage is at least $70,000. The providers bill insurance companies first, but patients sometimes find their insurer won't pay the full amount, says Shelley Deering. I cannot um, emphasize enough that it's really important for Alaskans to look at what their insurance covers for Medivac to make sure that they are covered. She handles the billing for Airlift Northwest, the nonprofit that's an arm of the University of Washington. She says some insurance plans cover more than others. So it's good to check your insurance to see what it does cover. There are three Medivac providers in Southeast Alaska two of which are for-profit enterprises. All three offer an annual membership plan. That means households that are enrolled won't be billed for anything their insurance company won't cover. She says sometimes people sign up from a hospital bed while waiting to fly. But you have to be awake or have someone as an advocate who can do that for you. So it's good to do your homework ahead of time because you may not get to it if you're a medevac patient being treated at 41,000 feet. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick.